Once Gone, a Riley Page Mystery, Book One, written by Blake Pierce, narrated by Elaine Wise. Chapter Three. The teenage girl who opened the door looked as though she might slam it in Bill's face. Instead, she whirled around and walked away without a word, leaving the door open. Bill stepped inside. Hi, April, he said automatically. Riley's daughter, a sullen, gangly 14-year-old with her mother's dark hair and hazel eyes, didn't reply. Dressed only in an oversized T-shirt, her hair a mess, April turned a corner and plopped herself down on the couch, dead to everything except her earphones and cell phone. Bill stood there awkwardly, unsure what to do. When he had called Riley, she had agreed to his visiting, albeit reluctantly. Had she changed her mind? Bill glanced around as he proceeded into the dim house. He walked through the living room and saw everything was neat and in its place, which was characteristic of Riley. Yet he also noticed the blinds drawn, a film of dust on the furniture. And that wasn't like her at all. On a bookshelf, he spotted a row of shiny new paperback thrillers he'd bought for her during her leave, hoping they'd get her mind off her problems. Not a single binding looked cracked. Bill's sense of apprehension deepened. This was not the Riley he knew. Was Meredith right? Did she need more time on leave? Was he doing the wrong thing by reaching out to her before she was ready? Bill braced himself and proceeded deeper into the dark house, and as he turned a corner, he found Riley, alone in the kitchen, sitting at the Formica table in her housecoat and slippers, a cup of coffee in front of her. She looked up and he saw a flash of embarrassment, as if she had forgotten he was coming. But she quickly covered it up with a weak smile and stood. He stepped forward and hugged her, and she hugged him, weakly, back. In her slippers, she was a little shorter than he was. She had become very thin, too thin, and his concern deepened. He sat down across the table from her and studied her. Her hair was clean, but it wasn't combed either, and it looked as if she had been wearing those slippers for days. Her face looked gaunt, too pale, and much, much older since he'd last seen her five weeks ago. She looked as if she had been through hell. She had. He tried not to think about what the last killer had done to her. She averted her gaze, and they both sat there in the thick silence. Bill had been so sure he'd know just what to say to cheer her up, to rouse her. Yet as he sat there, he felt consumed by her sadness, and he lost all his words. He wanted to see her look sturdier, like her old self. He quickly hid the envelope with the files about the new murder case on the floor beside his chair. He wasn't sure now if he should even show her. He was beginning to feel more certain he'd made a mistake coming here. Clearly, she needed more time. In fact, seeing her here like this, he was for the first time unsure if his long-time partner would ever come back. Coffee? 
she asked. He could sense her unease. He shook his head. She was clearly fragile. When he'd visited her in the hospital, and even after she'd come home, he'd been frightened for her. He had wondered if she would ever make her way back from the pain and terror she'd endured, from the depths of her long-time darkness. It was so unlike her. She'd seemed invincible with every other case. Something about this last case, this last killer, was different. Bill could understand. The man had been the most twisted psychopath he had ever encountered, and that was saying a lot. As he studied her, something else occurred to him. She actually looked her age. She was forty years old, the same age he was, but back when she was working, animated and engaged, she'd always seemed several years younger. Grey was starting to show in her dark hair. Well, his own hair was turning too. Riley called out to her daughter. April? No reply. Riley called her name several times, louder each time, until she finally answered. What? April answered from the living room, sounding thoroughly annoyed. What time's your class today? You know that! Just tell me, okay? 8.30! Riley frowned and looked upset herself. She looked up at Bill. She flunked English. Cut too many classes. I'm trying to help dig her out of it. Bill shook his head, understanding all too well. The agency life took too much of a toll on all of them, and their families were the biggest casualty. I'm sorry, he said. Riley shrugged. She's fourteen. She hates me. That's not good. I hated everybody when I was fourteen, she replied. Didn't you? Bill didn't reply. It was hard to imagine Riley ever hating everybody. Wait till your boys get that age, Riley said. How old are they now? I forget. Eight and ten, Bill replied, then smiled. The way things are going with Maggie, I don't know if I'll even be in their lives when they get to be April's age. Riley tilted her head and looked at him with concern. He'd missed that caring look. That bad, eh? she said. He looked away not wanting to think about it. The two of them fell silent for a moment. "'What's that you're hiding on the floor?' she asked. Bill glanced down, then back up and smiled. Even in her state, she never missed a thing. "'I'm not hiding anything,' Bill said, picking up the envelope and setting it on the table. "'Just something I'd like to talk over with you.' Riley smiled broadly. It was obvious that she knew perfectly well what he was really here for. Show me, she said, then added, glancing nervously over at April. Come on, let's go out back. I don't want her to see it. Riley took off her slippers and walked into the backyard barefoot ahead of Bill. They sat at a weathered wooden picnic table that had been there since well before Riley moved here, and Bill gazed around the small yard with its single tree. There were woods on all sides. It made him forget he was even near a city. Too isolated, he thought. He'd never felt that this place was right for Riley. The little ranch-style house was fifteen miles out of town, run down and very ordinary. It was just off a secondary road, with nothing else but forests and pastures in sight. 
Not that he'd ever thought suburban life was right for her either. He had a hard time picturing her doing the cocktail party circuit. She could still at least drive into Fredericksburg and take the Amtrak to Quantico when she came back to work. When she still could work. Show me what you've got, she said. He spread the reports and photographs across the table. Remember the Daggett case, he asked. You were right. The killer wasn't through. He saw her eyes widen as she pored over the pictures. A long silence fell as she studied the files intensely, and he wondered if this might be what she needed to come back, or if it would set her back. So what do you think? he finally asked. Another silence. She still did not look up from the file. Finally, she looked up, and when she did, he was shocked to see tears well up in her eyes. He had never seen her cry before. Not even on the worst cases, up close to a corpse. This was definitely not the Riley he knew. That killer had done something to her, more than he knew. She choked back a sob. I'm scared, Bill, she said. I'm so scared, all the time, of everything. Bill felt his heart drop seeing her like this. He wondered where the old Riley had gone. The one person he could always rely on to be tougher than him. The rock he could always turn to in times of trouble. He missed her more than he could say. He's dead, Riley, he said, in the most confident tone he could muster. He can't hurt you any more. She shook her head. You don't know that. Sure I do, he answered. They found his body after the explosion. They couldn't identify it, she said. You know it was him. Her face fell forward and she covered it with one hand as she wept. He held her other hand across the table. This is a new case, he said. It's got nothing to do with what happened to you. She shook her head. It doesn't matter. Slowly, as she wept, she reached up and handed him the file, looking away. I'm sorry, she said, looking down, holding it out with a trembling hand. I think you should go, she added. Bill shocked, saddened, reached out and took the file back. Never in a million years would he have expected this outcome. Bill sat there for a moment, struggling against his own tears. Finally, he gently patted her hand, got up from the table and made his way back through the house. April was still sitting in the living room, her eyes closed, nodding her head to her music. Riley sat crying alone at the picnic table after Bill left. I thought I was okay, she thought. She'd really wanted to be okay for Bill, and she thought she could actually carry it off. Sitting in the kitchen talking about trivialities had been all right. Then they had gone outside, and when she had seen the file, she'd thought she'd be okay too. Better than okay, really. She was getting caught up in it. Her old lust for the job was rekindled. She wanted to get back in the field. She was compartmentalising, of course, thinking of those nearly identical murders as a puzzle to solve 
almost in the abstract, an intellectual game. That too was fine. Her therapist had told her she would have to do that if she ever hoped to go back to work. But then, for some reason, the intellectual puzzle became what it really and truly was. A monstrous human tragedy in which two innocent women had died in the throes of immeasurable pain and terror. And she'd suddenly wondered, was it as bad for them as it was for me? Her body was now flooded with panic and fear. And embarrassment. Shame. Bill was her partner and her best friend. She owed him so much. He'd stood by her during the last weeks when nobody else would. She couldn't have survived her time in the hospital without him. The last thing she wanted was for him to see her reduced to a state of helplessness. She heard April yell from the back screen door. Mum, we got to eat now or I'll be late. She felt an urge to yell back. Fix your own breakfast! But she didn't. She was long since exhausted from her battles with April. She'd given up fighting. She got up from the table and walked back to the kitchen. She pulled a paper towel off the roll and used it to wipe her tears and blow her nose, then braced herself to cook. She tried to recall her therapist's words. Even routine tasks will take a lot of conscious effort, at least for a while. She had to settle for doing things one baby step at a time. First came taking things out of the refrigerator. The carton of eggs, the package of bacon, the butter dish, the jar of jam, because April liked jam, even if she didn't. And so it went until she laid six strips of bacon in a pan on the stove top and she turned on the gas range under the pan. She staggered backward at the sight of the yellow-blue flame. She shut her eyes, and it all came flooding back to her. Riley lay in a tight crawl space, under a house, in a little makeshift cage. The propane torch was the only light she ever saw. The rest of the time was spent in complete darkness. The floor of the crawl space was dirt. The floorboards above her were so low that she could barely even crouch. The darkness was total, even when he opened a small door and crept into the crawl space with her. She couldn't see him, but she could hear him breathing and grunting. He'd unlock the cage and snap it open and climb inside. And then he'd light that torch. She could see his cruel and ugly face by its light. He'd taunt her with a plate of wretched food. If she reached for it, he'd thrust the flame at her. She couldn't eat without getting burned. She opened her eyes. The images were less vivid with her eyes open, but she couldn't shake the stream of memories. She continued to make breakfast, robotically, her whole body surging with adrenaline. She was just setting the table when her daughter's voice yelled out again, Is it going to be? She jumped and her plate slipped out of her hand and fell to the floor and shattered. What happened? April yelled, appearing beside her. Nothing, Riley said. She cleaned up the mess and as she and April sat eating together, the silent hostility was palpable as usual. Riley wanted to end the cycle, to break through to April, to say, April, it's me, your mom." 
and I love you. But she had tried so many times, and it only made it worse. Her daughter hated her, and she couldn't understand why, or how to end it. What are you going to do today? she asked April. What do you think? April snapped. Go to class. I mean after that, Riley said, keeping her voice calm, compassionate. I'm your mother. I want to know. It's normal. Nothing about our lives is normal. They ate silently for a few moments. You never tell me anything, Riley said. Neither do you? That stopped any hope for conversation once and for all. That's fair, Riley thought bitterly. It was truer than April even knew. Riley had never told her about her job, her cases. She had never told her about her captivity or her time in the hospital or why she was on vacation now. All April knew was that she'd had to live with her father during much of that time and she hated him even more than she hated Riley. But as much as she wanted to tell her, Riley thought it best that April have no idea what her mother had been through. Riley got dressed and drove April to school, and they didn't say a word to each other during the drive. When she let April out of the car, she called after her, I'll see you at ten. April gave her a careless wave as she walked away. Riley drove to a nearby coffee shop. It had become a routine for her. It was hard for her to spend any time in a public place, and she knew that was exactly why she had to do it. The coffee shop was small and never busy, even in the mornings like this, so she found it relatively unthreatening. As she sat there, sipping on a cappuccino, she remembered again Bill's entreaty. It had been six weeks, damn it! This had to change! She had to change! She didn't know how she was going to do that. But an idea was forming. She knew exactly what she needed to do first.